All right, church, well, we're continuing today in our sermon series in Genesis chapter 37 to 50, which we've titled Worst Thing, Best Thing. If you didn't know, now you know this is the second to last in this sermon series and this four-year journey in Genesis. So this morning, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 49, verses 1 through 33. You can find that on page 42 if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs. The title of today's sermon is is the aroma of Christ. And as Jacob passes on final blessings to his sons, we're going to see the different aromas that come from their lives. And so, yes, that means this is a 12-point sermon. Get ready, okay? Young disciples, if you haven't already grabbed your sermon guide, they're right over here on the table. And adults, if you feel like you need something to help you hang on through 12 points, you might want to grab one of these too because the way that James has designed it is as a crossword puzzle. Okay, So as you go, you're going to be working through that crossword puzzle in conjunction with each point of the sermon. All right. Well, since today's passage is so long, rather than having us all stand to read it at once, I'm going to be reading it verse by verse as we go along. But still yet, let us posture our hearts in such a way that we can say of God's word, the Lord has spoken to us, and respond, thanks be to God. Amen. Will anyone else besides me still think that the movie Gladiator was one of the best of the 2000s? Anybody? Okay, let me, let's do it like this. Put your thumb out like this. If you thought it was one of the best, thumbs up. If you thought it was not, thumbs down. You got it? Anybody get what I'm doing here? Harkening back to the movie? Okay, you got it. Let me uh, refresh your memory in this way. See who else... Uh, is tracking with me. What we do in life. Yes. What we do in life echoes in eternity. All right, this is the line from Gladiator. I've been practicing it all week, and you guys were not impressed. So, But this was the line that stood out to me so much when I was 16 years old, watching this movie and growing in my faith in Jesus. Which, by the way, you know you can do that with movies, right? Like, you can... You can watch them in a spiritual way that, that allows your imagination to open up to spiritual things. And so this, this line impacted me in that way as a young 16-year-old Christian. And so for better or worse, my brief little life will echo in eternity. It will have eternal impact. And so don't I want it to be for something beautiful? Like who I am in regard to Christ and what I do in obedience to Him that will impact not only my future, but the future of those who come after me. And as we pick up the story of Genesis again today, we come to the end of the life of Jacob. And as we began to see last week, he finishes his race not as a complainer, but as a worshiper who passes on blessings to future generations. And what we see him doing today is blessing his sons in faith. You see, each one of his sons will play a role in God fulfilling his promise to Abraham. If you don't grasp hold of that now, then when you hear these blessings throughout the sermon, you're going to think they're curses. Okay? There is negativity within them, and yet ultimately they are still blessings. But the unique way that they will do or carry on the blessing in their lives 
is impacted by their character and actions in life. That's what's going to go on to affect their descendants. So in other words, there is an aroma that will come from their lives. Now, back in the day when I worked at Chick-fil-A, they had this thing called a, uh, a scent machine. All right? You could literally buy this and you could put, I don't know what in it, but something in it that would shoot out a particular scent. And so when we unveiled the new Chick-fil-A cookie, they got a cookie scent, put it in that machine, and shot it out into the mall so that people would be drawn to where the cookie was, right? It was really strange. But this is a thing, and they could choose what scent was being projected from the store. And so I want to use this analogy throughout the sermon today. What scent or aroma will come from these sons? And more importantly, what aroma will come from you? So let's begin with Reuben in verses 3 and 4. Jacob speaks of him first. Listen to this. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. So here we see the biggest letdown of all the brothers. Reuben was the firstborn. He was the heir of the promise. Today, when we speak of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we should also speak of Reuben. But nobody does. He was to have double inheritance and the leadership of the nation of Israel. In all things, he was to be preeminent, that is, to have royal honor and to be like an immovable rock. But instead, he was, quote, unstable as water. Rather than standing humbly on the foundation of trust in God, he was controlled by his lusts and desires. Case in point, back in chapter 35, Reuben slept with one of Jacob's concubines, which was probably also an attempt to take the leadership from Jacob. Therefore, Jacob was repulsed by this, as he should have been, and Reuben forever lost his birthright. And then his tribe goes on to show mostly a string of nothing but disappointments. So what is the aroma coming from Reuben's life? Well, I describe it as a suitcase of Chick-fil-A sauce. All right? Let me explain that. When I was living in East Africa, I really missed Chick-fil-A a lot, and my teammates did too. And so on a visit to America, I decided that I would ask a Chick-fil-A store if I could have some Chick-fil-A sauce to take back with me, and we could enjoy Chick-fil-A, in a sense, anytime we wanted to. They thought it was a great idea, so they gave me an entire suitcase of Chick-fil-A sauce. I packed it. And we sent it over and went after three, four days of travel and heat and cold and all that altitude. It arrived in my little house in East Africa. I opened it up to the glory that it would be. And instead, it smelled like a rotten dumpster. Why? Because with all that air pressure change, those little packets exploded. And all the heat and cold of all that condiment there, gross, yeah, you can imagine. And so Reuben, to me, is like a suitcase of Chick-fil-A sauce. So much potential, but it was ruined. 
with me? So I'm going to help you out with this 12-point sermon. We're going to get through it together. My point here, beware becoming a person whom God intends so much for, but it's ruined by the whim of your desires. Next up, Simeon and Levi in verses 5 through 7. Jacob says to them, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are in their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hung hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So Jacob puts these brothers together because it was together that they revealed their character as the culprits of Genesis chapter 34. If you remember that chapter, their sister Dinah was abducted and abused by the prince of a town called Shechem. And so they should have rightfully gone, brought her back, and brought about some sort of trial that led to justice of this in. Justice, But instead, if you remember the story, they faked this deal with the men of Shechem for them to get circumcised and then they would be in good relationship with each other and with God. And while they were recovering from being circumcised, Simeon and Levi went in and slaughtered all of them and took all the women and children and also killed all the animals. Now, this should have been a moment for them to display to the nations God's perfect justice. But instead, they got the opposite of justice. Pure anarchy. Unrestrained violence. Anger. Murder. Destruction. Wrath. Cruelty. And bloodlust. You see, Simeon and Levi were shepherds who led with the sword instead of the staff. And so Jacob says, let my glory not be joined to them. What does that mean? Glory means weight, and it seems to often refer to the heart. And so what it seems like is happening here is Jacob is saying, like, don't join your heart to those who are swift to shed blood. Beware them. Now later, Simeon's tribe will end up disintegrating into other tribes, and Levi's tribe would be dispersed into priestly service, rather than being given an inheritance of land. And so what is the aroma coming from the lives of these two brothers? Well, I think it's a table, a tablespoon of wasabi. Anybody know what wasabi is? It's that green stuff that they give you when you eat sushi. Okay? I don't know if you've ever had any or not, but it's powerful stuff. The first time I went out on a date with Katie to get sushi, they brought it out. And me being a fresh off, back from Africa, uh, you know, America, uh, American here, so I got this three thing of green stuff, and I thought it was avocado. And so what did I do? I like avocado. Scooped that whole blob up, because I know how to use them chopsticks. And I ate that whole blob. Now, wasabi is meant to, like, lightly flavor and spice up what you eat. But if you eat a whole blob of it, 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 it causes this mushroom cloud to start about right here and go up into your brain. And your head is literally about to explode. 
And so there was this uncontrolled fury that took place in me because of eating way too much wasabi. What's the point here? (laughs) Beware becoming a person who is given the peace of God, but your uncontrolled anger leaves you like a mushroom cloud dispersing people from your life. Next up, Judah, verses 8 through 12. His blessing begins here. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So how does this strike you? I think it should strike you in a strange sort of way. Why? Because Judah was one of the worst brothers. Like, he instigated selling Joseph into slavery. And his thought was, let's not kill him, let's sell him. Not for mercy, but for profit, so that we can make some money off this. He then bailed on his family. He sought a pagan wife. He fathered wicked sons. He ruined the life of his twice-widowed daughter-in-law, and then he impregnated her and sought to burn her at the stake. This is a terrible person. And this is the guy whom his brothers shall praise, his enemies shall submit, his people shall bow down. Man, how does that work? Well, the only explanation I see for it goes back to the work of deep inner transformation that God does in Judah, to show off his grace. In chapter 38, he begins to be broken. Remember, he says in response to Tamar's righteousness, his his daughter-in-law, I'm the one that should be burned. I'm the one who should have shame heaped on me for the rest of my life, and not her. And then in chapter 44, it culminates. He says to Joseph, listen, take me. Instead of Benjamin. Put me in slavery. My life instead of his. You see. God's grace. Met with human repentance. Has the power to change anyone. To rewrite any story. To undo any past. No matter how bad it is. And so the future of Judah's tribe. Is marked instead. By victory. Royalty. And bounty. They will be like a lion's cub. This means they they seize the prey and they carry it back to the den and they recline over it and feast. See, this is subduing and having dominion over as we were meant to be. And then they will usher in a time of intoxicating abundance where the best wine will flow like water. You see, it's this, this being fruitful and multiplying as was meant to be from the beginning. But wait, like how is that possible? Well, the key is in verse 10. The Hebrew is confusing, but to say Judah will hold the scepter until tribute comes to him probably means something like until it comes to the one to whom it belongs. 
You see, what we have here is a reference to a great king in the line of Judah who would bring about full victory and royalty and bounty that we were all created for. So what is the complex aroma coming from Judah? Well, I think it would be something like 1796 Lenox Madeira wine. The story goes that this wine from 1796 was discovered behind a plastered wall in New England. And when it was found, the assumption was this is going to be terrible. It's just been stuck behind this wall for so long. And yet they opened it up and gave it to some of the great wine tasters of the world. And they tasted it and it was amazing. And not only was it amazing in its flavor, but now it's one of the most expensive wines in the whole world, right? What wine has been hanging around since 1796? The key to it was this this waiting. Surely it was ruined, but it was worth the wait. And so the point here is this. Beware becoming a person who does not believe that God's grace can transform you or someone else with a terrible past. Wait for it. Wait for it. Next up, and here we start rapid fire because we don't have a lot of information about these brothers and their blessings. Zebulun, verse 13. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Now, although we know so little about Zebulun, we see that his tribe was supposed to be on the coast all the way to the city called Sidon. It was to be known as a refuge for those on dangerous seas. But it actually ended up being far less. It may even have been that rather than conquering the land that they were allotted, they offered themselves as laborers to the kingdom of Sidon. No doubt that they did benefit from seaborne trade, but they were intended to have so much more. What's the aroma here? I say Nord's Donuts. All right, makes sense, right? Of course. Well, let me explain. Nord's Donuts is this little donut shop on Preston Highway, and it's amazing stuff, so consistent. You're always going to get a good product every time you go there, but here's the thing. They could have taken Louisville by storm. Their product is so good. They could have had multiple locations all over the city if they wanted to, but they didn't. They kept it to one little store, and if you don't get there by 10 a.m. on whatever day you're going, you're probably not going to find what donut that you're looking for. What's the point here? Well, beware becoming a person whom God has far-reaching plans for as a harbor for others, but you settle for less for whatever reason. Okay? Next up, Issachar. Verse 14, Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Again, here are the only details that we have on this brother, and yet we can read into it his character as reflected in the tribe who comes from him. The imagery describes a people who love the luxury of material things so much that they enslave themselves in order to get it. God would call them to conquer Canaanites as a tool of his judgment, and he equipped them with the strength to do it. But instead, they would offer themselves like prisoners of war. Now, what's the aroma here? Rotten potatoes. Everybody smell rotten potatoes? 
One time when I was growing up, we went over to a house to help a family clean up their home. And I'll never forget, in a particular room, there was a mountain of bags of potatoes that had been hoarded. And those potatoes had then sat there because they couldn't all have been eaten in the hot uh, warmth of that room and had rotted for who knows how long. That's a smell that you don't forget across the course of a lifetime. And so the accumulation of this family had led them to end up enslaved to squalor. And so the point I'm making here is beware becoming a person who loves the accumulation of material things so much that you actually become a slave to them. And that's a warning in our particular culture that should go to every single one of us in this room. Next up, Dan, verse 16. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. So Dan, in comparison to his brothers, was born of one of Jacob's concubines. Therefore, he was probably somewhat less privileged than them and was an overlooked brother in the very least. But God's plan was to make his tribe warriors of justice, fighting for the rights of Israel. And even though Dan would be small, they were to be like a viper who overthrows a much larger animal by striking at its heels. However, Dan actually went on to be treacherous and violent, biting at both Israel and Canaan in order to assert its own rights. It doesn't even make it on the list of the tribes of Israel In the book of Revelation. Interestingly, Jacob adds here this seemingly random outburst. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Anybody notice that? It's like, why is that in there? Well, I think it could be a number of things. One, it could be a connection to his own name. Remember, Jacob's name is one who follows at the heels. Because when he was born, he was reaching and grasping for his brother's heel. So maybe he's thinking of this and how it's caused so much damage in his own life. And he says, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Perhaps, and this is my further theory, is that this flows from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, going back to the very beginning. It reads, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, this great one to come, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is a picture of the the salvation that was to come. It was a preaching of the gospel all the way back at the very beginning. And I think as Jacob considers this imagery of, of the heels being snapped at, his mind goes back to what he longs for most from the very beginning. And that is God's salvation. So what is the aroma here? Well, I think the aroma here is smelling sauce. You guys know what smelling sauce is? So when somebody has passed out and you're trying to rouse them, this is a little packet, you break it and you kind of you just dab it under their nose and it kind of wakens their senses because it's very peppery and, and powerful. Well, when I was a, a young basketball player, uh, sometimes the older basketball players would take advantage of that in fun sorts of ways. And so I'm sitting on the end of the bench and the guy beside me, he has the first aid kit that belongs to the team and he pulls out a little thing of smelling sauce. And he says to me, hey man, have you ever smelled this before? 
And I was like, no, I haven't. He's like, man, it smells amazing. He's like, but in order for you to really get a good smell of it, you got to like really go like that. And I was like, okay. And he pops it and I just, and I literally, I mean, worse than the wasabi, I thought my head blew off and there was nothing left of me after that moment. I don't know how long it took to recover from that. Um, If I find that guy, I'll tell you what, man. I'll tell him I'm a pastor. So... I think the aroma here is smelling sauce because it's meant to help, but too much of it actually causes great damage. And so the lesson here being from this brother Dan's life, beware of becoming a person whose passion for the rights of others, possibly even out of your own pain, leads you to actually cause damage instead of help. Up next, Gad, verse 19 Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Almost this entire sentence is simply a wordplay on the name Gad. So the whole identity of this tribe is wrapped up in being attacked suddenly by enemies, but ultimately being empowered by God to chase off those enemies victoriously. And so what's the aroma coming from this brother? I think it's fresh blacktop. All right, you must know the smell of fresh blacktop. So I was driving this past week, and they were literally just, just blacktopping this road on the way to the YMCA, and I literally was able to drive on it as they're steamrolling it. How is it that something can be that fresh, like that hot off the press, and you can put you know, a two-ton vehicle on top of it, and it doesn't bother? That stuff is gritty. It's strong. It's also gritty because you hear it kicking up inside your, your wheel well, right? All the stuff that's coming off of it. And so what's the point here? Beware becoming a person who forgets that you were created by God to be gritty, to face battles, and to be victorious through your God. Up next, Asher, verse 20. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. So maybe Asher was the cook among the brothers. But anyways, his tribe was meant to have fertile land and seaport access that would produce delicious food fit for kings. And any culture's most beloved cuisine, y'all know, sits close to its heart. And so Asher was set to be a blessing to the people of Israel and beyond. But later we will see that they are busy staying in the kitchen, so to speak, while other tribes are calling on them for help in battle. They don't respond. They don't come. And so what is the aroma here? Well, I think it could be burnt bread. Nobody loves burnt bread, especially when you've labored to make homemade bread and all the goodness that goes into that. But then it's so burnt that unless you just need a lot of fiber, you can't really eat it. Okay? And so it's meant to nourish, but it does not. And so beware of becoming a person who is so occupied with what you're good at that you fail to lay it aside When God calls you to the aid of others. Up next, Naphtali, verse 21. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. And so here you can almost hear the snickers of the brothers when Jacob says this to him. But if you can get past that imagery, here's what it means. The tribe of Naphtali will bear descendants true to his character. It goes on to be swift and agile in battle, breaking out of bondage. And this also carries a poetic Hebrew phrase that could be translated, letting loose a beautiful message. 
And so Naphtali was meant to be a unique bearer of beautiful good news. What is the aroma that I smell here? Well, it's nothing less than Vietnam kitchen. Why Vietnam kitchen? Because no matter what, every time you go in there, you can guarantee that you're probably going to get the same quality of goodness that you always do. Just somehow they seem to replicate it. They just have a great job at doing that. And so what's the lesson here from the brother Naphtali? Beware of becoming a person who thinks that you are unable to be a mighty bearer of good news and to replicate that in others. Up next, Joseph. So here is Jacob's climactic double blessing that goes to the chosen son. Verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. And yet his bough remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you. By the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. Blessings of the deep that crouches beneath. Blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Now, of course, this reflects the story of Joseph that we've been walking through. The fruitful bough by a spring running over a wall pictures this. First, depth of character that's fed by a constant source. Second, width of influence that spreads over all nations. Third, a height of prosperity that never runs out. And it all arises out of enemy attacks. It's like a sky full of arrows dropping. And yet, he's able to stand and be fruitful in the midst of it. His brothers come against him. Potiphar's household comes against him. A global famine comes against him. And yet he stands and bears fruit. How is that possible? Was he just that kind of guy? No. He was able to be this because, verse 24, because of the mighty one of Jacob. The Hebrew word here is Abir, the champion. Because of the shepherd, the Hebrew word here is Ra'ah, the caretaker. Because of the stone of Israel, Jacob says, the Hebrew word here, eh, ben, the anchor. Once again, y'all, God is the hero of the story, not Joseph. Joseph was only able to be this virtuous man that he was because of the mighty shepherd, stone of Israel. And so the result was a fruitfulness that multiplied and filled the earth as God intended. Nothing was withheld in height or depth from Joseph. And this goes on to be reflected in the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. The first choices of the land go to them when the land is being inherited. But it soon falls apart. Pride and idolatry, even in on these fine tribes causes them to fall apart. And so what is the aroma that I see coming from Joseph here? Well, many of you will appreciate this. Fresh roasted coffee. All right? Let me say fresh ground coffee. Me and Bill have talked about in the new heavens and the new earth, the smell of coffee will also be equal with the taste of coffee, you know, because some of y'all smell it really good and you taste it, oh, it's too bitter. You know, it's going to match up one of these days. All right? 
So literally, coffee is a fruitful tree. There's the connection to this fruitful bough. But then it ultimately blesses the whole world as it's harvested and then shipped and moved across all the places where people want to enjoy it. And so what's the lesson here? It's this. Beware becoming a person who forgets that the good fruit in your life comes from God. It's not from you. Or forgets that the bad fruit can't be redefined by God. Next up, Benjamin, verse 27. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey, and at evening dividing the spoil. So Benjamin, if you remember, was the youngest of the brothers, the one whom Rachel died while in labor with. And he was probably doted over as the baby of the family. But something of his character shows up in his clan that is described as a ravenous wolf. Now this is similar to Judah being described as a lion. But a wolf, it tends to kill more than it alone can eat. And so Benjamin was intended to conquer and share its wealth. And indeed, it did show itself fierce for the sake of others. But it also turned its ferocity on other tribes. And it started a civil war that almost entirely wiped out the whole tribe in a single day. If you read the book of Judges, sadly it's there. And so what is the aroma that comes from Benjamin? Well, to me, it's kerosene. Now, kerosene can be really effective for getting a fire going. I don't recommend it, but if you use lighter fluid, at the base of that lighter fluid is a very simplified form of kerosene. But if you put too much kerosene onto a fire, the fire will actually not only get so hot that it might just consume you, but the fire can follow the line of kerosene where you're pouring it, get to the can and explode the can, and you're donezo, okay? So if you hold the can too long, fire's going to explode it. That's the aroma here coming from kerosene. The lesson is beware becoming a person who's so hard-headed that you'd rather lose everything then humble yourself before the Lord and before others. I think that's a lesson that comes from Benjamin's life. Up next, and in conclusion, Jacob. Now, I know Jacob isn't one of the sons, but here's why I want to conclude with him today. Because he shows us this, that what we do in life echoes in eternity. Verse 28. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So next Sunday, that we are going to bring our four-year journey in Genesis to a close. And like, I don't know about you, but I'm going to miss Jacob. He's come to mean a lot to me. And here at the end is another reason why. He ends his very broken life as a worshiper who passes on blessings to future generations. And yes, like most of his sons are mess. 
But God chooses messes to carry on his mission. And when he draws his feet into bed and breathes his last, like it might just seem like a sad surrender to death, but I don't want you to make any mistake. Like, this is triumph. Listen, he came out of the womb grasping for blessing. And grace broke him so that he could receive that blessing. And then it put him back together so that he could give that blessing away. That's the story of his life. And so the aroma that I smell coming from Jacob after all of this journey with him, exposed to all the ages to come, is champagne. Why champagne? Because when a sports team wins a world championship and they all go back to the locker room, what do they bust open and shake all over one another and spray all over the room and drink and all that? Champagne. It's, it's, the, it's the way that you express we are the champions. We're victorious. We're triumphant over our enemies. This is the smell that I get from Jacob. And so the lesson being, be, beware becoming a person whose life does not end in triumph. Because your life does not end with Christ. You see, thus far, this sermon has been a solid like this. <laughs> Why? Because all the things that I've told you to be aware of becoming, like they're already true of all of us at times. Right? Like if you're sitting here listening to, okay, I don't want to be like that guy. Well, I don't want to be like that guy. It's like, well, man, we're all like these brothers at times. This is not encouraging at all. Like I, I don't have to go to a church to hear a lesson about how I need to do better and be better and not do this and do that instead. So we all look down on these brothers and their tribes so easily. And yet if our lives were exposed and written down for all ages to come, like how would our stories read? Like, I don't want anybody, you know, to be able to open up and say, here's all that was going on in the life of, uh, of Bradley Bell. Like, no way. And so left to our own devices, what aroma would come from our lives and then linger in the lives of those who come after us? When I think about the aroma that come from my life, I was thinking like sweat. You know, kind of the, a, a sweaty shirt that just keeps getting full of sweat, but you never wash it and it just keeps going and going. That's kind of sweat. Why? Because I was so driven to, 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 to accomplish just something more, just to, just to be able to grasp hold of blessing is just driven, just sweat. It's like I'm so thankful that somebody interrupted my life so that that's not the aroma that's coming from it. Thanks be to God that this passage doesn't just point us to being like or not being like these brothers. I get points us to the great elder brother who fulfilled everything that all of them and all of us were meant to be. From this messy family, y'all, would come the one who would bring God's promised blessing to the world, Jesus Christ. That's who this story points to. Listen, he came with preeminence because he was the son of God. He led with the staff instead of the sword. He came as a harbor for those on dangerous seas. He was not enslaved to the things of the world. In fact, he gave them up. He stood up to his enemies with grit. He taught with the kind of nourishment that was fit for a king but delivered to the lowest. He was a mighty bearer of good news. And yet he humbled himself to the point of death. 
Y'all remember what Jacob cries out for in the midst of all these sons who will all fall short of delivering God's goodness to the world? He says, oh Lord, I wait for your salvation. Anyone know what Jesus' name means in Greek? Salvation. On the cross, the serpent bruised his heel. See, he died in the place as if he was sinner. Bruised unto death. But in doing so, he crushed the serpent's head. Because he was a sufficient sacrifice to take our place. What was the aroma coming from the life of Jesus when he hung on the cross? Think about that. What's that smell like? I don't know. It's indescribable. It's better than anything we've smelled in our whole lives. But you know how the Bible describes it? Pleasing. It was a pleasing aroma to God the Father. A worthy, sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. You see, Jesus may have drawn his feet up on the cross and breathed his last, but make no mistake, it was triumph. Especially for us. Therefore, when God raised him from the dead, he was raised as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He took up the scepter that belonged to him. He was given victory, royalty, and bounty. You see, Jesus Christ, he is the true vine, the fruitful bough. He arises over all enemy attacks, no matter what was thrown at him. He has a depth of character that's fed by a constant source. He has a width of influence that will spread over all nations. He has a height of prosperity that will never run out. Nothing is withheld from him in heaven or earth. He will usher in a time of intoxicating abundance where the best wine flows like water. Listen, he's not, he's not set with just rising from the dead and saving souls. His aim is to redeem all things. So there'll be a new heavens and a new earth and a new people with God forever. All things. That's the intoxicating abundance. That's the being fruitful and multiplying and, and having dominion over the earth that was meant from the very beginning. He restores that on a whole new level. But what does this intoxicating abundance with the best wine flowing actually look like that's not on a cosmic level? Because I can talk on that cosmic level all day, but it won't hit you where you live. Because you got to get up and go out of here and have lunch and take care of your kids and go back to work tomorrow and all those very normal things. How does that up there apply to this down here? Well, here's where the intoxicating abundance where the best wine flows hits you where you live. It looks like his blood applied to all who believe. Right here, right now. You see, God's grace met with human repentance has the power to change anyone. Because Jesus' blood is sufficient for any sin, any past, any sense of brokenness. If you will confess that you are like these brothers, then he will save you from the sins that crippled them. And here's where this sermon, I hope, goes thumbs up. It's what he did in life that echoes in eternity. You hear that? 
The world will tell you this message is what you do in life that's going to shape things forever. Yeah, in a certain way, but Jesus can interrupt that and rewrite that because what he did in life on your behalf, if you receive it freely by grace, it's that that will echo in eternity. And so let him be the hero of your story and he will become to you the mighty one of Jacob, your champion, the shepherd, your caretaker, the stone of Israel, your anchor. Listen, everybody in this room is already grasping for God's blessing. So let grace break you so that you can receive it and let it put you back together so that you can then give it away. All right? So that you can know what aroma will come from your life. An aroma that's better than 1796 wine or the best fresh roasted ground coffee in the world. What is that aroma? Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, For those who follow Jesus, thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us like Jacob in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took a cup of wine and after blessing it, he said, this marks the new covenant and the shedding of my blood. As often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. What we're announcing today is that Jesus Christ is the one and only Pleasing aroma to God. Our invitation for those of you who have followed Jesus is to come forward and remember this. Breaking off a piece of bread, dipping it in the juice. Coming broken, open before the Lord. Wherever he's convicted you, responding to him in repentance and openness. Letting him restore you, draw you near, shape you to be more like his son. There's gluten free available over here if you need that. If you're here and you're not a baptized believer, this is not for you. Instead, I want to ask you the question, what aroma is coming from your life? If it is not the pleasing aroma of Christ, then what aroma is it? And are you satisfied with that being the aroma of your life? The invitation instead of coming to this table is to come to Christ himself. who will set you free in the ways that we've described from this passage. And will allow your life, both now and in the future and for all of eternity, have an aroma that is pleasing to God. There will be people in the back to talk with anyone who has any need of counsel. And also to pray. If you've got things going on in your life, you're like, man, the smells coming from my life right now are not real great. And I need somebody to help me with that. And I know God is the one to help. So I just need someone to pray with me. We're in the back. Let's pray. And let's pray right now. Father, we bow before you. Lord, I know that 
The sense of smell is one of the most powerful senses for our ability to remember something. And so there is the possibility of this unique sermon being somewhat more memorable because we have smelled it. And yet, Lord, I pray that the memory that would linger from this sermon, from this chapter in Genesis, from this wonderful book of the Bible, would be the pleasing aroma of Christ. And that your people would be drawn to that aroma and that they would long to not just smell it themselves, but to be people who would allow that aroma to flow from their lives. And that everywhere that they go, people would be drawn to it. We know there are many that you have prepared who would love that smell and would come to it and want more and want it for themselves. Also know there are those who smell that and they hate it. It repulses them and they run. Regardless, Lord, I pray that we would be a people who would be willing to carry that aroma wherever we go. And that even as we respond to your word by coming to your table, that we would smell the sweet fragrance of a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And that we walk away changed, wanting to perpetuate that aroma to others. Lord, for those who are in our midst who don't know, you have come to realize that the aroma coming from their lives is not so great. That they would see your grace held out to them freely. And they would take it. And they'd be changed. Have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.